Today is the week after Easter. And it may be a week that we look back upon as being the peak week of the coronavirus pandemic. As you know, December 31st, 2019, was a day the Chinese officials, health officials, reported an infectious disease, a virus that was attacking the respiratory system of folks in China that had come out of a large marketplace. After that, the World Health Organization looked into their declaration, so in January of 2020, declared this virus to be a global public health emergency. It became known as the coronavirus or COVID-19 and began to spread until the World Health Organization says it was in 211 countries and territories. Now in the United States of America, we only, rep we only recognize 196 countries. All that to say is the coronavirus is everywhere. And we may be in the peak of it as a pandemic. It has affected millions of people and thousands and thousands and thousands have already died. Do we find anything about this in God's Word? That's what I want us to consider this morning. And what does God's Word say we should do in response to it? Well, first of all, the word coronavirus is not in the Bible. But there are things in the Bible that are pandemics. If a pandemic is an infectious disease, a plague is known as an infectious disease disease. If it's an infectious disease that spreads through a whole nation, or in our case, the whole globe, the whole world. Well, as I began to think about that, do we have coronavirus-like calamities described for us in the Scripture so that we learn from God what we are to do, how we are to respond to coronavirus-like calamities. First thing I thought of was, yeah, we have a pandemic in the third chapter of Scripture. Adam and Eve fell into sin, and their sin was passed on to the entire world. Every single individual was affected through the sin of Adam and Eve. So we have a pandemic early on in the Scriptures. You don't have to go much further. In Genesis, Genesis chapter 7, and you have the, the story of the flood and how the flood waters rose higher than the highest mountains in the entire earth and covered the entire earth. That's a pandemic that affected the entire globe. Obviously, you have the, the ten plagues in Egypt. You begin to look and see that there are lots of examples in Scripture of Famine and earthquake and plagues, infectious diseases. 
that have affected an entire nation and at times the entire world. So God says much about coronavirus-like calamities. And I think we can learn much by looking at Scripture. First of all, we need to see that coronavirus calamities, they don't catch God by surprise. He's not unaware of them. So how do they fit into God's plan? How does a good, holy, righteous, loving God allow a pandemic like the coronavirus and if he allows it obviously he does for what reasons does he have good purposes and how does he want us to respond to it how does it fit into the scheme of a good and righteous and holy god first question i want us to consider is god responsible for pandemics? Is God responsible, ultimately behind the coronavirus pandemic that we are facing today? The answer is yes, absolutely. God is sovereignly responsible. It's a hard truth, but we need to understand God never takes off his sovereignty hat. God's in control. So why does he allow this coronavirus pandemic to occur? Let's look at what I consider the oldest book in the Bible. It's the book of Job. comes just before Psalms in your Bible. As we look at the, the book of Job, we are immediately in the context of natural disasters. Something that is affecting all of Job's family and his land. Let me read for you Job chapter 1, uh, verse 19 through 21. Hear God's word. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and he tore his robe. He shaved his head and he fell onto the ground and he worshiped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We jumped into a story of a natural disaster, a tornado. A tornado came across the wilderness and came towards the house that was housing Job's ten children. It says the wind hit the house in, with such force that the roof came down and destroyed those inside. All ten children died. Why did that happen? Job tells us. He says immediately after God gave me the ten children. God has taken away the ten children. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This calamity came upon Job at the initiation of God. God brought it about. Let's go further into Job. Look at Job 42, the last chapter of Job. Uh, 
in verses 10 and 11. Job 42, verses 10 through 11. Then the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Then all of his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him. And they ate bread with him in his house. And they consoled him and they comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. Now notice the specific text. Job has brothers and sisters that come and meet with him after the adversity. And they seek to console him, comfort him, but they declare the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. Who's the author of these calamities? It's God. It's interesting, the beginning of Job, chapter 1, the end of Job, the last chapter, chapter 42, both speak of God being responsible for the tragedy, for the natural disaster that came into Job's life. I didn't tell you all of them. If we go back to chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 15, it says, The Sabaeans attacked and took. Um, so we have warfare. They took uh, Job's oxen and they slew servants. So we have warfare. You jump down to verse 16. The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep. So there you have war, you had warfare. Now you have fire. I don't know if it was lightning. Something struck the ground, destroyed again Job's sheep and servants. And then the Chaldeans, another group of people, raid uh, all of Job's camels and, and livestock and kill servants again and take off the livestock. So in Job 1, you've got warfare several times. You've got um, fire. You've got tornado. And all of these uh, calamities are described as being from God. God brought the adversity. Some translation calls it evil. Trying to contrast, I think, God's goodness and evil that happens at times in our land. God is responsible and He doesn't in any way in Scripture remove Himself from being sovereign and over these kinds of things. So what can we say of the coronavirus? Did God bring the coronavirus to us? A lot of people would say, well, maybe it was Satan. Interesting, Job speaks of Satan um, and the relationship between God and Satan. In Job chapter 1, uh, verse 12, we read this. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has, speaking of Job, is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. And then uh, in chapter 2, verse 6 of Job, we read, So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power, only spare his life. What we get from those couple of verses of Job is that, yes, Satan is one who brings calamity. But he does so specifically at the, as he's granted permission from God 
Satan's on a leash. Satan can only do what a sovereign God allows him to do. God is still sovereign. He's still ultimately responsible. Think of yourself um, perhaps swimming in the ocean. And waves come up against you. Who's in charge of those waves? Do we not refer to the ocean as God's ocean? Do we not see that the waves are created by God And if a wind comes up and blows you from where you were standing in the ocean to someplace else, was it not the hand of God that blew you from your planned position to another planned position? And is it not possible that the wave of God might move you to a better place and to a better plan? Just because God is sovereign and cares and is good. Where's the coronavirus from? Ultimately, God's responsible. But he did not create this world in such a way as to bring us infectious diseases like this. Look at um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. There we see the end of God's creation work. And he says this, God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So in the six days of creation, God surveys everything that he has made after he's made it. And he says he has made everything good. God didn't make something that was evil. God didn't make infectious disease or or anything that was not good. So, so then where does it come from? Well, it comes through sin. Uh, perhaps one of the easiest ways to look at that is, is to jump into the New Testament. Romans chapter 5. Let me read a verse for you there. Romans 5. <coughs> Romans 5, verse 12. says, Therefore, just as... Through one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. You can look also over in uh, Romans 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Sin brought death into the world. And by bringing death into the world, sin brings into the world the curse, all of those things that bring death. Disease brings death. So this disease, this coronavirus, comes into the world through sin. And sin, the wages of sin, is death. And even the creation is under this this curse that we have afflictions in this life that are the result of our sin. Adam and Eve sinned. They give birth to sinful children. We have all sinned. Sin coming through them to us. We've been born in sin. 
because of sin, the coronavirus is here with us. We are, the scriptures refer to us in Ephesians 2 as children of wrath. We are under the curse, under the wrath of God. We are born this way. Ephesians 2, 3 says, we are children of wrath just as the rest, the rest of mankind. We're all under the wrath and curse of God because of our sin. Now, there's good news. In Christ, we're not destined for wrath, but for life, for salvation, for glory. Let me share a couple of great verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, and then chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10 says, And we are to wait for His Son, that's Christ Jesus, from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Pretty cool. Christ comes to rescue us. We are under the wrath of God, born into sin, children of wrath. Christ comes to rescue us from the wrath to come. Chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 9. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome news. If you've not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, do so. You must receive Him to obtain salvation, to get out from under the wrath of God. Those of us in Christ are not destined for wrath. We live in a world that's experiencing the wrath and the curse that we deserve because of our sin. Do we deserve coronavirus? Sure. We deserve consequences for our sin. God's still responsible, and God provides for us through Christ redemption, rescue, escape uh, from sin. Now, interesting to see that together. God provides wrath, but God also provides rescue, He provides judgment. And he provides mercy. It's easy to see that in uh, the person of Christ. Because at the same time Christ was on the cross dying for our sins. He was experiencing the judgment of God. The pain of our sin was upon him. And yet at the same time giving mercy to us. Forgiveness of our sins. And freedom to not experience the calamities of hell, which is under the wrath of God constantly, but to escape that and enter into the glories of heaven. A great principle we see here. The same God who can send to us and be responsible for a pandemic like coronavirus is also the same God who sustains us in the midst of the pandemic and rescues us through Christ from the pandemic. Glorious news. Praise God. The same God who sends the virus can sustain us through the course of the virus and ultimately give us rescue and redemption from the virus. 
In other words, we don't have to wait out this coronavirus as those who have no hope. Our hope is in Christ. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our escape from the wrath, from the curse that we are experiencing in this pandemic known as coronavirus. Well, if God's responsible, if God's the one behind it, so thankful for his mercy, his grace, his escape. But let's ask a second question. Is God purposeful in the pandemic that he brings? We know he's responsible for this world. Is he purposeful in bringing pandemics? Again, the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. The way God maintains his goodness and his righteousness is by having good, perfect, holy, righteous reasons for all that he does. He always does his holy will, his good and righteous will, and does nothing but what is good and righteous. Now, when I say God has reasons and purposes, we enter into a a big area that uh, we will never completely fathom, and that is God is a multitasker. God can do many things with many reasons all at the same time. We pride ourselves on, uh, on thinking we can multitask and do one or two things at a time. But God can do many things at the same time. And in doing those things, have a purpose for doing them that through pain produces glorious results. Now let's stop and think about the through pain phrase for just a moment. Some people have gotten the, the crazy notion that if you are good to them, if God is good to us, that goodness somehow requires Him to supply us with a pain-free existence. That's crazy. Where did God ever say that our existence would be pain-free? We're under the curse. Curse creates for us pain and affliction. Immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, God said, your life now will have pain in childbirth. And from childbirth all the way through, you used to could work in the garden without a weed, without a thorn, without a thistle. There will be pain in all that you do. Pain exists in this world because it is a world that has been cursed with sin. God is good and holy. And he's not obligated to provide us with a pain-free existence. And painlessness isn't necessarily good anyway. Uh, Consider a physical surgery of some sort. Surgeries, if they cut us open, it's painful. But it produces a very good and hopefully long-term beneficial result. So you can have pain and you can have goodness All at the same time. Um, God has not ever promised us painless existence on this earth. Now I want us to think about 
how God uses pain, uses natural disasters, how he uses tornadoes, how he uses um, hail stones, how he uses uh, uh, wind, how he uses fire, how he uses plagues and infectious disease, how he uses warfare, lots of pain to produce good things. God gives us many reasons for the trials, the tribulations that he has designed for us. I want to put on your screen so I can get through it uh, rather quickly. Twelve reasons God ordains pain in our lives. God ordains pain for our lives for these 12 reasons. Let me uh, just go through them uh, very quickly, and you can have them for further reference. And you can, anytime you're going through a trial, anytime you're going through uh, pain, you can look at these, this list of 12 and say, you know, what, what am I going through? For what reason? Does God have one of these purposes behind what's going on? Uh, number one, God ordains pain for our lives for advancing the gospel. The Philippians passage was Paul going to prison because he went to prison, which was a painful thing. Other people started preaching. A lot of people may be preaching now online. A lot of people may be preaching because particular preachers have the virus or are, are locked up for trying to hold services. The gospel could easily be advancing through the coronavirus. And the Acts 8 passage is where the people in Jerusalem experienced a great persecution. God had told them in Acts 1, verse 8, You shall be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea, then Samaria, then the remotest parts of the earth. Well, they were all still just hanging out in Jerusalem. So God brings a persecution, persecutes the church, and scatters them to the ends of the world. He advanced the gospel through people losing their homes, losing their bank accounts, losing all of their securities. But God blew that persecution into Jerusalem and greatly spread his church. Uh, number two, uh, for correcting us as members of his church. The Hebrews 12 is a passage on discipline. Just as parents discipline us, God disciplines us. And that passage says, and that's not without pain. Number three, for restraining our sinning. The 2 Corinthians 12, 7 passage is Paul's thorn in the flesh. God gave Paul a painful experience. He says it, it afflicted his flesh to keep him from pride, to keep him from sinning. Number four, as a consequence of sin, to deter repeat offenses. The 1 Corinthians 11 passage is a warning as we are taking the Lord's Supper together. Not to be offensive to God. Not to take it wrongly. And so that warning there is to deter us from offenses. Uh, number five, to stimulate growth, maturity, and perseverance in Christ. James 1 is a great passage on trials and tribulations. And God's saying he's designed those for our growth, for our maturity, to enable us to endure um, to greater heights in Christ. Number six, to test and prove Ministry to sufferers. The Second Corinthians passage is a passage that deals with uh, just clearly saying we suffer so that we learn from our sufferings to minister more effectively to other people when they suffer. 
Number eight, to teach us to live by God's word. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. It's talking there about God's word being our life. And we have to go through trials at times to realize that's where we go for direction. That's where we go for, for sustenance. We don't live by bread alone. We live by the word of God. Number nine, to turn us back to God. The Hebrews 4 passage says there's, there's, we have so many needs when we go through pain and those needs remind us of the one person who can provide for our needs, and that's Christ, and he takes our needs to the throne of grace and gives us grace in time of need, when we need help. Number 10, to conform us to Christ's sufferings. The Philippians 3 passage is a wonderful passage about the value of knowing Christ and sharing in his suffering. And seeing the significance of being like Christ and being conformed to his image. Number uh, 11, to more clearly display God's works. Uh, John 9 is a great passage. Says there's times when God creates an affliction in us just to declare his glory. And to show people him through us. Number 12, to exalt God-centered worship. We see it there in Romans 8. We saw it in Job chapter 1. That as soon as the affliction news comes to Job, Job bows and worships God. Because he knows this affliction has come from God. And it should go back to God in praise and adoration. Now, when you look at those 12 reasons. You could probably see five or six reasons for Job's adversity from that list. So God's a multitasker. He didn't just send Job through the affliction for one reason, but maybe five or six reasons. And why the coronavirus for you? Maybe not just one reason, maybe five or six reasons. And whatever trial we go through, there's times when we go through them and say, I just don't know why this is happening to me. That's why I wanted to give you a list. Go back through this list. And start saying, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. God wants to teach us. God wants to direct us. We go to his word and he gives us direction that this is the reason why we are going through what we are going through. Now, I don't think my list is exhaustive by any means. I don't think that I can possibly know the mind of God except for what he's revealed to me in the word of God. So I've given you a list that I can come up with from the word of God. But God may have many more reasons. Um, you might want to check out uh, John Piper's book. just came out. It's called Coronavirus and Christ. And in that book, John Piper says that God has billions of reasons for this pandemic. Billions of reasons for, for this pandemic. Now, now, what he means by that is he's thinking... That God has particular care for every individual on the planet, which he does. So if you take a planet of approximately 7 billion people, and God has a particular reason for why he has afflicted them in some way through this pandemic known as coronavirus, then God has billions of reasons for the coronavirus. Not just one, not just 12, 
but perhaps any one of these 12 times 7 billion people. God's a huge multitasker. He's doing something, very particular something, with every single person on the planet since the planet, every country, it seems, has been affected by the coronavirus. Now, that brings us into a big realm that coronavirus cannot be blamed on just one person or just for, for one reason. God has a multiplicity of reasons and people he's addressing through a pandemic. It's interesting in Job that God goes to such lengths to not co- connect his adversity to his sin. Let me take you there. Think about it for a minute with me. Job chapter 1, the very first verse says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. There was no one on the face of the planet more humanly righteous during the time of Job than Job. God is actually showing Job off to Satan before uh, the afflictions come. Look at verse 8 of Job 1. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Interesting. And then... uh, You get to chapter 42, again, the summary that comes at the end of the book. Let me read it there. Uh, Job 42, verse 6. Job says, Therefore I repent, and I repent in dust and ashes. Job saw a need for repentance when you get to the end of the book. But at the beginning of the book, Job's described as though he's as good as it gets. And that the calamity that's coming on Job is not the result of his particular sin. Um, We often want to just say bad things happen to bad people. And the reason things are happening to us is must just be sin. I just gave you 12 reasons. A couple deal with sin. But God may have reasons for this coronavirus that's beyond just confronting your sin. God may have lots of reasons that include mercy, that include growth and endurance and patience and ministry and worship that are far beyond just attributing bad things to bad people. Um, Jesus strongly confronted this whole issue. It just seems to be locked in our mind that we want to declare bad things are the result of bad people constantly. Let's look at the ones Jesus 
uh, looked at with us. Luke, Luke, Luke chapter 13. This is the uh, most obvious place perhaps found in the Bible. Uh, Luke 13, verse 1 through 5. Now on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Well, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? He says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and it killed them, that they were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So he mentions two groups of people in his uh, message to his, his audience. He says, Galileans were apparently killed, maybe even sacrificed, and their blood was mingled in another human sacrifice. It's pretty gruesome. He says, why did that happen? Was it because they were bad people? You know, and the, everybody said, well, yeah, they must have been pretty bad. And Jesus says, no, that's not the reason. And then he mentions another group. He says, they were outside a tower, and the tower fell, and the tower crushed them, and they died. Why did the tower fall on those people? Was it because they were bad people? And, you know, everybody in the audience is saying, must have been because they were bad people. Jesus says, no, was it because they were bad at all? He says, your tendency is to, to focus on other people and to always say it's their fault. And Jesus says, let's focus on you. Unless you repent, you will also perish. We really always want to blame someone else. Another great passage, look at John chapter 9. John chapter 9, first three verses. Jesus and his disciples passing by. He says, as he passed by, he, he saw a man that was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor that his parents sinned. But it was so the works of God might be displayed in him. We always want to blame someone. The reason for the bad stuff is because of bad people. They've done bad stuff. And that's caused our problem. And Jesus says, perhaps I sometimes bring bad stuff so that the rest of the world will look at themselves and repent and see the need for us to respond to God as opposed to to just blaming other people for bad stuff. Give you one uh, other passage. Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. Here we're in the, the midst of the destruction of Jerusalem. Armies have surrounded the city. The sixth trumpet has sounded as the armies move in to destroy 
everyone in the city. She destroyed the temple that's in the city. And notice this interesting commentary, Revelation 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind, don't miss that. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues. Now, Revelation's been talking about a number of plagues that have been ravaging the Jews and the city. And literally 1.1 million people lost their lives in this attack. And many are dying of diseases. So they were in the midst of a pandemic. And God says, the rest of mankind, not the people who were in Jerusalem, but the people who were watching it and hearing about it from afar, people who were not killed by these plagues, three words, did not repent of the work of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they, again these words, did not repent of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. It, it breaks your heart when you see that perhaps even a coronavirus is not because God's not showing mercy, but it's because God in His mercy is calling us to see our own sin and repent, to turn from it. And to turn from Christ. And God has presented to us scripture. So that we don't blame other people. And say it's their sin. That's the problem. It's not their bad stuff. But we need to be looking at our stuff. It's so easy. You, you see it happening all around us. People want to bl blame the Chinese. For creating the coronavirus. People want to. Blame the health care workers for, for being careless with this disease. People want to blame the World Health Organization. People want to blame our political leaders. People want to blame our pastors, our churches, other people for not properly social distancing. We want to say it's their problem. The bad stuff is their fault. And Jesus says... And the rest of mankind. The ones who were not dying. Because of the coronavirus. They did not repent. Lord help us. Lord help us. Can we not see. Our need to turn from our sins and turn to a purposeful, righteous, good, and merciful Savior. How do we respond in our pandemic? We need to turn back to God. As, 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 as I think about what is the proper response, 
Let's go back to Job one more time and look at the response of Job's wife and the three friends. As a matter of fact, uh, well, let me read it for, to you first. Job chapter 2, here's the response of Job's wife when all this calamity is happening. He's losing his family. He's losing his livestock, his servants. Job's wife responds, chapter 2, verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Verse 10. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept, accept good from God and not ex- accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And then in the end of um, Job, again, catching the summary there, Job chapter 42, verses 7 through 9, we get a quick summary of Job's three friends. Job 42, 7 through 9. It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you've not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. I won't read the rest for for time. But Job goes through the three friends and he says, You missed it. You kept wanting to blame Job. You kept wanting just to focus on Job. And you didn't respond right. What what was the improper response of Job's three friends? It says there in the text, they did not speak well of God. Go back to Job's wife. She did not speak well of God. She said, curse God. And she didn't speak well of Job. And neither did the three friends speak well of Job. They're constantly blaming Job. Seeing their bad response helps us to see our right response. Job's wife needed to respond by showing love and respect to Job, her husband, and love and respect to God, her only hope and Savior. And Job's three friends as well were chided for not showing love and respect for Job or love and respect for God. So how do we respond? Instead of blaming others, number one, when calamity strikes, we need to seek God first and foremost. Seek God first and foremost. Foremost. God's behind it. He is responsible. He is sovereign. But God is our refuge and strength. Psalm 46, verse 1. He is the one we can go to. He's the one in charge. He's the one we can trust. He's the one who can provide for our needs. We need to be like Job, saying, God, this is from you. How is it that I am so uh, sinful that I, I, can, I can accept good things and not adverse? Adverse things? He says, that wouldn't be right. I need to accept it all as from you, worship and adore you, trusting that you have good purposes for what you're doing. And those good things will play out. And I will see it in the end when I'm rescued through Christ into glory. So respond to God first and foremost with worship 
adoration, with respect, with love, with acknowledgement of his wisdom, his holiness, his goodness, his truth. Respond to God first and foremost because he's the one who can give us care through all of this. Look at Matthew 6. Matthew 6. You can read the whole thing. I'm going to skip to the last part. Verses 25 to the end of Matthew 6. For this reason, the word of God says, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you're going to eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You're worth much more than they. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil or spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? The Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Seek first His kingdom, His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We don't need to worry. We need to worship and seek God first and foremost, giving Him praise, trusting Him for our care. Jesus says in John 6, 33, he says, In this world you will have trouble. There is no plan to get rid of the trouble. In this world you will have trouble. Jesus says, but I've overcome the world. I can offer you much. Hebrews 4, verse 16 says, Bring it to me. I'll take it to the throne of grace that you can find help. You can find grace in your time of need. First response, loving God rightly, seeking Him. Second response, replace our fear with a ministry of love and compassion to others. There's times of panic that render us unable to do things. I just don't know what to do. This is, this is scaring me to death. Use your fear. Use your energies. Redirect them into what you can do. You can do something. You can first respond to God, love God, and secondly, you can respond to others. You can love others. You say, David, we're under a lockdown order of social distancing. There's still ways to love others. So many ways are available to us today. There's video chat. There's text. There's emails. There's letters. There's phone calls. There's many ways you can still connect with people, care for people. Love people. Um, don't be scared. Direct those energies in to loving others. Find ways. Spend your time loving God and loving others. Our mission as a church is wholehearted love. Devoted to wholehearted love for God 
and one another. Let me show you a passage. Matthew chapter 9, 36. Here's Jesus walking through the, the region. He makes this statement. Matthew 9, verse 36 through 38. Jesus, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and dispirited, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, what is the harvest field? It's a field, it's a group of people that he sees that are distressed and dispirited. Do you know anyone who is distressed and dispirited right now because of the coronavirus? That's your harvest field. God says the first thing you could do is pray that he would move people to love others. We have a world of distressed and dispirited people who need the love and compassion of Christ. That should be our response, is finding ways to minister to others. First God, then loving others. The coronavirus has been called by many around me a terrible accident. It started in China. Terrible yeah, means, by that we mean it's painful. It's, it's very painful. Accident? No, it's a wrong description. It's not an accident. It's part of the loving, wise, purposeful plan of God. We can see what God is doing. And when we see it's from God and what God is doing, we can work through the pain to respond to God in love and worship and to respond in others by not blaming but providing them with great compassion, and mercy. Remember the words of Romans 8, verse 28. What a glorious passage. It says this, We know that God causes all things, even a coronavirus, to work together for good to those who love God. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love Him Adore Him, worship Him, come to Him, turn from sin, turn to God. God can cause all these things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And His purpose, goes on to say, is to conform us to the image of Christ. To Christ be praised. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You. For the words of life that come from the Holy Scriptures. Thank you for giving us so much to contemplate. We've been in this pandemic long enough to begin responding rightly. Lord, turn us from our sins. If we're in the midst of pain, raise up compassionate, loving workers to attend to our needs. If we are watching from the outside, use us to be those compassionate workers. 
Use us as those who see your purposes so that we turn from our sin and turn to what you are doing and want to do through us. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Lord, let us bless you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen.